With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, folks. I hope you guys are having a phenomenal morning. You know what? We had rain, just some good showers last night down here at the beach. And this morning, the sun is up. It was it was beautiful to watch as that sun rose in the east and, and the rays just start to glisten off of the off of just the flat water of the harbor. The only time the harbor really moves is when the dolphins are playing and when the boat captains are going out, you know, around seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. It was beautiful. And I thought, man, just how blessed we are to live in the world today. You know, it's not to say it's not without frustrations. It's not without challenges. I mean, good gosh, let's be realistic. But when you actually look at where we live and what we're doing, life is grand. Today we're in John Maxwell's books, book, Ethics 101, What Every Leader Should Know. We're in Chapter 6. We're getting towards the end of this book. And as I looked at this, I thought, you know, it's sad that this book ends. I believe there's so much more that we can cover, and I may grab his bigger book, in the next few weeks, and go through it. But today, seizing your golden opportunity. I think for whatever reason, the older we get, the, the just sometimes the, the dumber we get. See, I'm a firm believer. It doesn't matter what your age. There's no reason you can't get off your doggone butt and change your life. I mean, I'm just I'm just that way. I know that we all have different issues. We have financial issues. We have physical issues, all this stuff. But if there was something that you truly wanted to do, you'd figure out a way to do it. Maybe it's maybe it's to bring your, your hobby into the house if you can't go out and work in your workshop or your garage or whatever. Maybe it's it's going from doing bigger projects to smaller projects. Maybe it's maybe it's that you, you've got the projects going but you just haven't taken that risk to go out there and present them to the public. Whatever it is, we can seize our golden opportunity. John starts this chapter off. He says, I think just about everyone is looking for a golden opportunity. Business people in particular possess a keen eye for such things. He said, recently I had my research assistant, Kathy Wheat, search the web for golden opportunity, and within less than one-fourth of a second, 1.3 million different hits showed up. And I thought, you know, that's crazy when you think about it. Golden opportunity. How many do you think have passed you up in your life? Maybe it's because you weren't looking for them. Maybe your ethics were out of whack and nobody brought them to you, but they were there. But John asked the question, how do you find a true golden opportunity among all the offers that are already out there? This is what he says. You don't look outside yourself. See, most people think their greatest opportunity will be from a job, an investment, something somebody gives them. The truth is, your greatest opportunity is to change you. I had a lady on Facebook who I met her and her husband in California. 
and as we were going through things, as, as they were looking at my past, as I sat there and shared my story, they said, Troy, we want to know your story. I said, where do you want me to start? She says, well, you talk about how you entered this industry at five years old. So we, we sat there and talked a long time. And as I got into my teen years, as I got into my, my 20s and my 30s, you could see that she was a little bit disbelieving. She said, seriously, you have done this stuff. I said, yeah, and some that I'm not even presenting. And she wrote, and she said, you know, it's amazing to me. And these are her words, but she said, somebody that had such a badass attitude could become such a loving family man. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool to me because there was a time when I was just a taker. I was a power-hungry, greedy individual, didn't care about family of any kind. All I cared about was me. And to have somebody on the outside realize that I seized my golden opportunity and made a change, that meant a lot. So the question is, how many people in your life can say that about you? Have you gone through life with this dull, negative, disillusion attitude that it's always everybody else, that it's always something else, that, 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 you know what, you were just born on the wrong side of the tracks, that people took from you. I mean, think about it. Is that your attitude that you've lived by? And now, most of us, look, let's be realistic. Most of us live that attitude. We get up every morning. We pack our lunch or our wife packs our lunch or we get a few bucks to go out to eat. We take the mundane drive to work, probably listening to talk radio as they tell us how bad the world is. <laughs> Matter of fact, that's kind of funny. You know, I've been listening to talk radio since I was a teenager because that's what my daddy used to listen to. And, you know, I swear, although the voices have changed, the story's the same. It seems like all those guys want to tell you how bad the world is. So ask yourself this. What's to stop you from just deciding today, you know what, I'm going to change my freaking attitude. I'm not going to let life situations dictate to me. I mean, think about this for a second. Do you really even have the right to say that other people dictate your future? When you look at, at history, I mean, and just look, I'm going, to, I'm going to segue out of his book for a second, but I want to think about this. What right do we have to blame other people? This is America. We have a freedom of choice. We can't blame our forefathers for giving us this freedom. If we took it to history, I mean deep history, Moses had a reason to gripe and blame everybody else. David had a reason to gripe. Now I'm going to take some, some biblical history here. Confucius, if I go outside the Bible, had a reason. Gandhi had a reason. Mother Teresa had a reason. But yet these folks did not blame other people for their outcomes. See, we've got to look at this. We have a golden opportunity today to change our life. I read an article today about an individual who's setting a world record. He seized his golden opportunity, and he's going to do something that no other archer has done. And, and if you guys don't know, archers are like Robin Hood. You know those guys that shoot bow and arrows? But this guy's going to do it with no arms. He's an armless archer that uses his feet. And you think you've got a reason to bitch and moan? Man, I'm looking at all the the young troops that are coming home from the military. 
the Generation Y, the generation that people say, oh, they're worthless, they're just a bunch of losers, and yet for the last 10 years they have been fighting for our freedom so that we could hang out here at the house and call them names. Do you have a reason to bitch and moan? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Or are you going to get off your daggum butt, get out of this dull, negative, disillusioned attitude, and seize the day and make a change? It's tough the older we get. There's no doubt about that. But if we just do this, then one thing will lead to another. See, the problem today with, with CEOs, especially in America, is that they think seizing their golden opportunity is screwing somebody else. It doesn't matter if it's their employees or strategic partners. But it's funny because history just repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. C.S. Lewis, somebody my daddy turned me on to many, many years ago. I mean, this boy, is he's dead and gone, but yet you guys have seen The, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, all these movies that he's done. Powerful, powerful stuff. Listen to what he writes right here. Actually, I think that was C.R. Tolkien that did that. He did, he did the other trilogy, but it doesn't matter. I'll mean, screw it up, but listen to me. Here's what he writes. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions that you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories that you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or in anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead for which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Let me sum it up in today's language. You can decide to be a loving spouse. Even though your life might suck, you can say, I'm just going to be that loving individual because, you know, when I look at it, their life must suck right now having to take care of me. I had this happen locally where where a wife had gone through an accident, and right now her husband's having to take care of her. He adores her. He loves her. And she just got a broken leg. But, man, she was getting nasty at him because she didn't want him to help her. She's a pretty independent gal. And I thought, man, what would I be like if that happened to me? I remember nursing Paige after every child that we've had and helping her. And I thought, man, to me it's it's great, but I don't know that I'd like that. My pappy taught me to be that tough, A-plus personality. Man, you don't need any help. You can do it yourself. And I thought, man, that's not what, what, what it's about. Now I'm going to segue again out of his book for a minute because I, this hit me today as I was reading this chapter. If you believe like I do and you have a faith like I do, the Bible says that we are all part of the body. Some of us the arms, some of us the head, some of us the eyes, the neck, the feet. What if when we're getting nasty at those people who are trying to serve us that we're limiting them on what God has for them because part of their their whole purpose is to serve others? I mean, man, let me tell you something. This, this little book on ethics really opened the door. I wrote down so many notes in the last week that I'll use in some upcoming trainings. You know, it's about that golden opportunity, the fact that we can change. And here's just a few points. Write these down. These are important. Number one, 
take responsibility for your actions. If you want to change, don't sit around and say, well, I'm just lazy. Well, I'm just being mean. I'm just going to be this way. Don't do that. That's not taking responsibility for your actions. You want to know what taking responsibility for your actions are? Three words, two sentences, three words. I am sorry. That's the first one. Second one, I love you. Now, if you put that together and you say, I love you and I am sorry, or you put, I am sorry, I love you, man, then it sky's the limit. That's the way it goes. President Woodrow Wilson said this, responsibility is responsibility is proportionate to opportunity. See, when we take responsibility for what we say, do, and act, now people look at us and say, I may not like him, I may not like her, but I respect and trust them. I have people on Facebook say, Troy, I hate what you write half the time, but it sure makes me think, and I just can't give up following you. Well, that's all I want to do is just make people think, give them a fair and balanced approach to things. See, John writes it this way. When a person of responsibility can trust himself to choose the right thing over the easy thing, he takes to heart the words of the historian Will Duren, who said, never mind, what hap- never mind your happiness, do your duty. See, and that's what I think this comes down to when we look at the golden opportunity, when we look at ethics. It's not about happiness. matter of fact, it's always about the duty. What is it that we are supposed to do? What is our responsibility? John writes, I once heard somebody said, having no one to blame but yourself is a frustration. He said, but rarely do people who play the blame game get many golden opportunities. And even the few they get slip through their fingers in just a split second thought about that, and I thought, man, I remember, you know, I, I, I told you guys in, in earlier in this book, 25 years old, worth a million dollars plus on paper, and I let that slip, that, that opportunity slip through my hands. What I didn't tell you is by the age of 26, I was actually on paper again worth several million dollars. I was a partner in a mergers and acquisition firm. We had a, a feed mill, we had a mattress company, precast concrete, you name, I mean, we were going after an insurance company. But again, because of a lack of ethics, by 27, my partner had lost it all for us. Not blaming him. This is partially my fault, too, because I could have dug a little deeper into the ethics, into what we were doing. But I didn't. I was riding high. That's why I look at the generation today, and I look at my generation, I think there ain't anything different. I had to learn. Thank God I have a a God that believes in second chances, and I was able to learn some things. I learned today that it's not about what you're worth on paper. It's about what money you have in the bank and the love you have in your home, and not necessarily in that order. See, I had to change my character. I had to change my ethics, and it was hard. It was very hard. But see, we can do that if we work together. See, if you look at yourself and say, I want to be different, I want to change, people will see that. The 19th century clergyman 
an Oxford University professor, John writes, H.P. Linden, Linden, what we do on so great occasion will probably depend on what we already are and what we will be the and what we are will be the result of previous years of self-discipline. See, we do live in an instant gratification. Get a new credit card, go get a loan, have the government give you a handout, whatever the case is. The days of busting your butt until you can afford something seems to have slipped through the fingers. But if you discipline yourself in four major areas, this is what's going to happen. You're going to seize the golden opportunity. Number one, you've got to You've got to seize the moment, and you've got to discipline yourself with time. Time is the one asset you can never get back. Second, you've got to have discipline on your energy. You should strive to, to gain strength in those areas where you excel. Number three is your goals. You should do everything to discipline yourself to hit the objectives you're going after. And the fourth thing John says is your moods. You should never let your emotions master you. I did that in my early days. That's why I ended up with so many different felony charges that all stemmed around weapons, anger, vehicular, attempted vehicular homicide, assault with a deadly weapon with the intent to kill. The list could go on. My anger controlled me. My emotions controlled me. Self-disciplined people don't do that. John writes it this way. Successful people who work well with others and who relish challenges as well as opportunities don't see discipline as a negative or restrictive. I 100% agree with him on that. The third thing he says you got to do, let me go back here because I want to make sure you guys write these down. Number one is take responsibility for your actions. Number two, develop personal discipline. Number three, know your weaknesses. That's powerful. He shares a story about President Roosevelt. He says, one evening at Sagamore Hill, President Theodore Roosevelt's home in New York, he was with naturalist William Beebe. They walked outside, and Roosevelt searched the star-filled skies, and finding a small glow before, below the corner of the constellation Pegasus, he said, this is the spiral galaxy Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It consists of 100 billion suns. It is one of the 100 billion galaxies. Then President Roosevelt looked at Bibi and said, Now that I think we're small enough, let's go to bed. See, he always kept things in perspective. He knew what his weakness was. And he strove, strove, strived, as a man to overcome those weaknesses. Matter of fact, if you know anything about history, you know that Teddy Roosevelt was a, a very weak, sickly, asthmatic, underweight kid. Matter of fact, he would be that real skinny guy that we used to see in the comic books where, you know, the, the real skinny guy and then the real buff guy got all the girls. Well, Teddy was that weakling. But he committed himself to strengthen his body. He went on to be a cowboy he hunted wild game. He was a cavalry officer. And he became the president of the United States. See, that's what we've got to look at. Never let your weakness control you. Oh, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm just overweight. 
I'm just a fat person. I might as well eat another Big Mac. No, it don't work that way. Get some self-discipline. Know your weakness. Kick your butt. So I'm going to change my ways. It, it sucks and the pain sucks, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something. I'm going to walk a little bit so I can burn some calories. I'm going to work on my hobbies. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to write my memoirs. Whatever the case is, just do it. Number four, align your priorities with your value. Now, this is something, look, I get a lot of people on this radio show. We get people that are young. We get people that are old. We get people that work. We get people that retire. I want to I nail you retirees for a minute. Show me that in history. That's a cotton-picking, man-made, probably unionistic. I probably just made up that word, too. Cockamamie bullcrap. You want to know when it came into being, I think, when people said, well, the government's going to take care of us with Social Security. And by golly, we get to retire. I don't find it in history. I don't find it in the Bible. I don't find it in history books. Oh, I see where people passed on their ranches and their farms and their businesses to their kids, but it doesn't say that they stopped working. It just meant they turned over the day-to-day control to somebody else. So why in the Sam Hill do we think we can go out here and work for the corporation and then retire? Does God say that? Now, I know, I'm, I'm freaking you all out because I really am getting into my faith today because this is, this is something that just it eats at me. I honestly believe retirement is what caused this country a problem. It's what causes every country a problem. You may quit your job. You may retire from that 9-to-5 job, but that doesn't mean you retire on life. It doesn't mean you retire on your dreams. It doesn't mean you retire on your golden opportunity. It means it's time for a different season in your life, and it's time for you to go out there and do something. Maybe it's to help mentor your grandkids. Maybe it's to kick your own kids in the butt every now and then. Maybe it's to help that neighbor. Maybe it's to start a new business. You know, one of the things that I love is I've got a group of CEOs that they retire from corporate America, and then they go and mentor other CEOs that are just starting up in business. Align your priorities with your values. Most people I have found retire, and their values go to hell in a handbasket. All of a sudden, everything they were striving for, everything they were working for, everything they told their kids they believed in just disappears. My, I remember my dad retired. He he retired from driving a truck, and then he started doing things. He started making more projects for the grandkids. He started making jewelry and stuff. He started going on walks with my mom. They they socialized. He was he was helping other people in the community through church and stuff. That has an insight for me. Now, one of the things that he never did that I always wanted him to do is I wanted him to put down on paper the history of his side of my family, what what my grandpa and my great-grandpa was like, some of the stuff that he went through as my dad, so that I could pass it on to my kids. Now, he may get around to that someday. But that was something I always wanted him to do. To me, that's the kind of thing that you do after you retire. You write down and you carry on the legacy and you, you put your principles down to pass on. I've got volumes of journals that my kids will end up with. I've got my Bible that I've written so many notes in. And I got that from him. He used to write stuff all the time. He had an eight, eight and a half, 11 by 8, or 8 and a half by 11, whatever you call those paper, and he'd write. I'll get that someday. I know I will. 
he'd use three by five cards. I've been using three by five cards just because I thought that was the only thing to do. And then I found somebody wrote about it in a book, and I thought, man, they stole that idea from my daddy. He'd been doing that for years. I mean, it's weird things, you know, like this when you when you think about it. I know I'm going to segue again, but listen, I remember my dad had this most god awful green little box that his three by five cards were in because it was like the '70s, you know, and everything was earth tone greens and. Orange. Matter of fact, my mom made me an orange jumpsuit back then. I thought I was studly like John Travolta. But, you know, it's amazing when you look at this. We have to align our priorities with our values. Because, see, if we preach one thing and then we're doing another, nobody's going to follow us. Number five, you've got to admit wrongdoing quickly and ask for forgiveness. Now, that's something I learned a long time ago. Don't ask me where, I don't know. Might have been in Sunday school, might have been my wife. I don't know where I learned it. But I learned a long time ago to say, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I eat crow so many times. Matter of fact, at the RSS conference, Randy Gage was there. I'd screwed up with him, and that was the first opportunity publicly that I'd had to tell him I'm sorry. And, and I got to say, and it was so fun to look at his face, and his eyes lit up, and he said, Troy, don't stress over it, man. You publicly set the record straight that's all I could care for I thought man I've had this on my this was a burden to me and then to have him say it's cool man that was just rock solid see this is the key John writes this one thing that has characterized nearly all the recent high profile business breakdowns has been some kind of cover up when I decided to be a public speaker and coach to be an advocate for direct selling, I knew I had to take the doors off my closet. That's what I've done. I don't try to hide anything. Oh, some people will use that against you, and they'll say, look at you. It's like I had a guy over the weekend write, you don't even, you can't even run a company. Look, Ignite 360 got rid of you, and I had to snicker about it. Because those are the pot shots people will take at you. I didn't write him back, but I thought, well, I'm still living at the beach, driving down with my wife, having fun with my kids. So it must not have been all that bad. See, it's crazy out there, folks. But if, we, if we'll do these, you know, it'll, it's good. You, you can say, I'm sorry. John shares a story in here that I think is powerful. It's about Harry Kramer, who, who created a, a, a very interesting company. It was, a, it was a filter of some kind that had to do with helping people with heart problems. And, and what happened was very quickly, for whatever reason, people were dying using his machines. They couldn't find the problem. So you know what he did? He pulled them off the market, got rid of them, recalled, cost the company $189 million, and he told his board of directors, you need to cut my, my performance bonus because I really sucked at it this year. I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. The sixth thing is take care of your finances. Live below your means. Be honest with everybody you do business with. Don't go out there and just use credit blindly. That'll do nothing but get your butt in trouble. You don't want to do that. And the seventh thing is put your family ahead of work. I screw this up all the time. I get so bogged down on a deadline or in doing a video or... or that I seem to screw it up. Lately, I've been doing a lot better. I'm trying to help Paige with the grand granddaughters. I'm trying to be there for my baby girls. 
I'm there with Jetty. I'm trying to be there for the boys and, and have enough time for Paige. And I'm 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 going through several books right now to be a better husband because I don't want to I don't want to end up screwing up. But the story that John shares in here, I think, really hits home. He says, The list of titles and positions that he has earned is impressive. U.S. Congressman, Ambassador to the United Nations, Chief Liaison Officer to China, Head of the CIA, Vice President of the United States, and finally, the President of the United States. But when his life and public office ended, the elder George Bush said that he still possessed three of the most important titles he had ever held, husband, father, and grandfather. Man, that's what I want to be. I want my daughters to look at the boys they date and say, we want you to be like our daddy because he loved our mama unconditionally and he loved us and he was always there for us. I think I told you guys, Sunday, Tessa went on her first really cool date. and really. And the boy didn't come to the door. He texted her and said, I'm here. So I met him at his car. Very cordial young man. But I made it clear. That's my baby girl, and you better take care of her. I was 17 once. No daddy did that to me. And I'd come knocking on the door because we didn't have cell phones to text, and I knew it was rude to honk my horn, especially me. I had a horn that sounded like Dixie. do 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 That was just obnoxious to my wife you got to put your family first. got to treat your employees like their extended family. See, good begins to happen when you begin going for the golden rule. When you begin to go for that golden opportunity on the inside and stop blaming everybody else. When you say, I'm going to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Now, if you want to be beat over the head all the time, you just treat people with a bad attitude and somebody's going to slap you with an iron skillet. But if you really want people to treat you right, then you need to treat everybody else right. Be with me tomorrow as we talk about how to develop the Midas Touch, Chapter 7 of John Maxwell's book, Ethics 101. Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow with me for RealMentorsRadio.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.